So tonight we are continuing our journey through the three simple rules that the rules that John Wesley gave to the early Methodists as a simple way to understand the Christian way of life. Last week we covered the rule, do no harm. This is the idea that we are always to be looking outside of ourselves and asking where there is harm being done in the world and to others and to ensure to the best of our abilities that we are not contributing to harm to others or ourselves. And this week we continue with the second rule, which is do good. Often attributed to John Wesley is uh, this saying, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. You'll find this on the walls of probably every single United Methodist seminary and many, many churches because as Methodists, we hold this close at heart. It represents who and how we hope to be in the world. It's the essence of doing good in the world and it sets what I think is a pretty high standard for us. Part of it is, as St. Francis put it, you are the only gospel some people will ever read. Doing good is not only what we do because it's the right thing or the moral thing or because even Jesus showed us that doing good is a calling, but also because it's essential to sharing the gospel and living into the call to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we truly want to love our neighbor, we must do good by them. Zora Neale Hurston once said, There is nothing to make you like human beings so much as doing things for them. We share the love of God with others and learn to love others more deeply when we are doing good. But doing good, doing all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the people you can comes with some risk because doing good puts ourselves out there a little bit. It puts us on the line. Our scripture reading tonight comes from the book of Joshua and is testimony to how Rahab, a person that the text refers to as, um, I'll say, belonging to the world's oldest profession, uh, a profession that in our less than always sex-positive culture tends to be looked down upon. And she lived in a culture where pretty much anything outside, any sex outside of marriage, especially for women, was deemed especially shameful. And so Rahab would have been especially shamed for having been a harlot, as the text describes it, or a prostitute. And this is Rahab who saves the Israelite spies. The spies who have come into the city of Jericho to scope out the land because the Israelites have just begun their march into God's promised land. Rahab takes in these spies, she hides them, and then she steers those who are pursuing them away and gives them rest and then the chance to escape. Rahab had heard many stories that surrounded these Hebrew people and how they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt to wander through the desert for 40 years and awaited entrance into their new promised homeland. 
The stories of God's grace had preceded the spies, and Rahab knew that this city, the city of Jericho, was standing in the way of promised glory. Now, Rahab had a choice. She could have sent the spies away, informed her local authorities, and likely have been rewarded by those authorities had she turned them in. But instead, she decides to hide them and then strike a deal with them. Now, it could be that she was just looking out for her own interests. But I like to think that maybe it was something deeper. She had heard these stories of God and God's people, and she was drawn to them and to God. Even if she was not fully aware, she was seeking to be in relationship with God and God's people. And so she chooses to offer help and to do good, and in doing so, is drawn into relationship with God and God's people. Rahab placed herself at risk to do good. That is the case often when we are doing good. It's risky, if nothing else, because doing good for others means making ourselves vulnerable. Doing good, as with doing no harm, takes stepping outside of ourselves and into letting go of our need to be in control and counters the message of the world that says, that often tells us that we must first and foremost care for ourselves. Doing good in this way becomes a healthy denial of self and helps us live in a more selfless way, as Jesus taught us, drawing us closer to God and one another. Tony Campolo tells uh, the story of a deacon in a church who took a group of young people to a local old folks' home so they could put on a worship service once a month. The first Sunday that the deacon went, he was in the back with his arms folded as the kids were doing their thing up front. Uh, he was just the driver, so he wasn't really involved in the service. He was just there to be transportation. And so there he is in the back with his arms folded, and this old man in a wheelchair rolls up next to him. He took hold of the old man's hand, and the old man held his hand all during the service. The next month, the same thing was repeated. And the next month, and the next month, and the next month. And then the old man wasn't there. When the deacon inquired as to where the old man might be, he was told, oh, he's down the hall, right-hand side, third door. He's dying. He's unconscious, but if you want to go down and pray with him, that's all right. The deacon went, and there were tubes and wires hanging out all over the place. And the deacon took the man's hand and prayed that God would receive the man, that God would bring this man from this life into the next and give him eternal blessings. As soon as he had finished the prayer, the old man squeezed the deacon's hand, and the deacon knew that he had been heard. He was so moved by this that tears began to run down his cheeks. He stumbled out of the room, and as he did so, he bumped into a woman. She said, he's been waiting for you. He said that I didn't want to die until I had had the chance to hold the hand of Jesus one more time. The deacon was amazed at this, and he said, what do you mean? 
She said, well, my father would say that once a month, Jesus came to this place. He would take my hand and he would hold my hand for a whole hour. I don't want to die until I have the chance to hold the hand of Jesus one more time. Now, I can't tell you if that story is 100% true. It might be one of those preacher stories. <laughs> I want to put that out there, just to be honest. But regardless of, of whether this is 100% true or not, I'm sure it's based on something that Tony Campolo, who's a famous uh, pastor from Pennsylvania, um, if you don't know anything about him, you can look him up. Um, he, uh, this story illustrates the principle of what doing good as a life practice and how that can have such a great impact when we do. We talk a lot in the church about, uh, in the church world about tithing. Now, tithing we normally tie to the offering plate and the money that we're putting in the offering plate. And don't get me wrong, tithing and giving money to the church is an important doing good act that we do because, well, the church only works when it's funded when we have the money to, well, we don't have to keep the lights on here, but um, national, if there's no money in the offering plate, I guarantee you the heat won't be on and the lights won't be on and all of the wonderful curriculum that they buy and all the wonderful staff they employ will not be there. And so, yes, giving of our, our financial means is important. And it is doing good, but there is more to tithing just, than just financials. When we tithe, we give a portion of ourselves to the work of God. We're sacrificing some of our time and energy to God, giving back to God from that which we have been blessed to receive. It's taking time out of my life and dedicating that time to doing good, to setting myself aside and putting good into the world, not for my own glory or edification, but because we desire to share the love of Christ with all the world. And just to be clear here, this is not meant to guilt you into participating in more activities with our community, though if you want to, I'm not going uh, to uh, shy you away from that. This is to say that tithing and doing good happens in lots of different ways. It happens in big ways and small ways. It happens in organized church activities, in organized service, and in the ways in which we encounter one another on a daily basis. Basically, I want to call on you to look for the ways in your life that you can do good and go and do it. Sometimes doing good is showing up and holding a hand. It's showing up and taking a risk. It's showing up and remembering that I might not see the results of the good that is being done. It's sacrificing some of my time for another and for God. And it is sometimes literally showing up and standing with the oppressed and the hurting, standing behind the voiceless as they speak, hearing and supporting as we pray for the day when justice might flow down like a mighty river covering all people. It is taking a part of ourselves and donating it to the kingdom as a regular way of life. Not looking for what I might get in return, but how I might make the world better for others. It is doing good because good has been done for us already in Christ incrementally changing the world by doing more than causing harm, than not causing harm, 
but going the extra step and doing good. By doing good at every moment and every opportunity. And in that, we bring about transformation in ourselves, in others, and in the world. So let us go and do good. Amen.